In this episode of our podcast series on lung cancer screening in Canada, hosted by Impact Medicom Sarah Desette, we are joined by respirologist Dr. Stephen Lamb from the University of British Columbia and BC Cancer in Vancouver. Dr. Lamb is a distinguished scientist and Leon Duda Blackmore Chair in Lung Cancer Research at the BC Cancer Research Centre. His research interest is in early detection, chemoprevention, endoscopic diagnosis and therapy of lung cancer. He was the recipient of the Friesen Regal Award for Outstanding Canadian Academic Discovery and the Gustav Killian Medal by the World Association of Bronchology for his pioneering contributions to the field of early lung cancer diagnosis, the Distinguished Achievement Award from the University of British Columbia, and the Joseph Cullen Award for Lifetime Scientific Achievements in Lung Cancer Prevention Research by the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer. We are also joined by General Practitioner Dr. Rakesh Patel from Silverado Medical Clinic in Calgary, Alberta. Links and resources for existing lung cancer screening programs are provided in the podcast description. Hope you enjoy it. So welcome, Dr. Lam and Dr. Patel, and thanks so much for joining us virtually from Vancouver and Calgary. So in this episode, we will be talking about lung cancer screening in Western Canada. And I wanted to start off uh, by asking, in your opinion, what are the greatest unmet needs uh, for patients with lung cancer? And I guess we'll go to you, Dr. Lamb, first. The greatest unmet need is to detect and treat lung cancer early to improve the outcome of patients with lung cancer. So currently, only 20% of lung cancer patients survive five years or more. So we need to improve on that. Uh, And so unsurprisingly, uh, you you brought up the need for early detection uh, of lung cancer, but what makes early detection of lung cancer so important and what is needed to improve the proportion of patients who are diagnosed at an early stage of disease? So early detection is extremely important. So when patients um, seek medical attention because of symptoms, the majority, roughly about three quarters of them already have advanced stage three or four lung cancer most of them are not curable. So that's why we have to detect the cancer early so that we can treat them more effectively. And so what what sort of um, programs are needed to improve the proportion of patients who are diagnosed at an early stage? So we do need to have an organized screening program, uh, very similar to screening mammography or colorectal screening, uh, so we can um, uh, structure the screening pathway properly. Because Uh, Lung cancer screen is not just a test involving a CT scan. Um, It involves a kind of a pathway uh, from how to identify people at risk for lung cancer, how do we recruit them, and we need to address issues like uh, equity, um, and then how to navigate the patient through uh, the CT screening. And when there's a normal finding of the CT scan, um, we have to um, kind of help them to uh, get a diagnosis early. And then when cancer is confirmed, uh, they will be treated uh, appropriately. And, and so we know that screening and early detection can improve mortality rates in lung cancer. But how do you determine which patients should be screened? So in contrast to, to, other lung, to other cancer screening programs, a lung cancer screening is only for those at high risk so that the benefits of screening will outweigh the potential harms. We can define lung cancer risk in two uh, different ways. Uh, One way is to use what we call a risk factor approach, such as using age and smoking history. Um, People commonly use pack years and the duration for smoking cessation if they have stopped smoking. 
So an example of that is the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force criteria and the Canadian Task Force of Preventive Healthcare criteria. But I think a better way is to use a risk prediction model um, using uh, additional uh, variables such as uh, uh, non-smoking and more detailed smoking uh, history. So besides smoking uh, history, uh, we can use things like race or ethnicity, uh, educational level, which is a reflection of the social economic status, uh, family history of lung cancer, history of COPD, uh, the body mass index um, to derive a risk index. So uh, one of the best tested risk prediction model is the PLCO 2012 model uh, that was developed by Dr. Martin Tamamagi at Brock University in Ontario. Um, and this model has been validated in multiple uh, countries around the world and it's been shown to a better sensitivity and positive predictive value. We can detect more lung cancers um, in fewer people and can avert more lung cancer deaths. Um, then the number of uh, people needed to screen, it's much smaller than using age and pack years criteria. We can also address the disparity from race or ethnicity, uh, gender differences and socioeconomic uh, differences. And finally, it's also more cost effective. So this is the reason why in Canada and also in the UK and Australia, uh, we are using a risk prediction model to identify people with sufficient risk for lung cancer screening. So uh, once a patient has been identified at an earlier stage of disease, what kind of treatment options are available to them then with those early stage? And how does that impact the survival outcomes? So for patients with early lung cancer, surgery offers the best chance of cure. Uh, Stereotactic body radiation is an option for patients who cannot have surgery, for example, because of poor lung function um, uh, reserve or because synchronous uh, lung cancers in different uh, lobes of the lung. But for patients with advanced lung cancer, in addition to chemotherapy, we now have many new targeted drugs and immunotherapy that can control symptoms and significantly prolong the patient's survival. And some of these actually survive a long time. So I think we're definitely making advances in our treatment for lung cancer. Are there any newer treatment options then? The newer treatment are mainly um, for advanced lung cancer, where we have the targeted uh, drugs and also the immunotherapy agents. Um, sometimes we can also combine immunotherapy with chemotherapy. So there are many options available for patients with advanced cancer. They also study uh, ongoing, to even looking at early stage lung cancer um, to combine surgery with immunotherapy. Uh, so that those are promising uh, results as well. What pilot studies have been done in Western Canada that were the basis for provincial screening programs and what initiatives are ongoing to address this need? So over the the last uh, uh, decade or so, we have done two studies. The first one is the Pan-Canadian Lung Cancer Screening Study involving eight centres across Canada from coast to coast. Um, So this is the first study where we we uh, test a risk prediction model um, to recruit or to identify people at high risk for lung cancer for screening. Uh, what we have shown in this study that we can identify a relatively high number of individuals who develop lung cancer compared to 
agent ten years alone that is used by the U.S. task force in the Canadian task force of preventive healthcare. And more importantly, we have shown um, that the screening can identify people with early lung cancer. So about sixty-six uh, percent of the lung cancer that we find by screening um, are stage one lung cancer um, that they are potentially curable uh, by surgery. So more recently, the International Lung Screening Trial, where Vancouver uh, is part of the principal investigator um, in this international trial, um, we have shown that we are doing a head-and-head comparison um, the between age and pet years criteria using used by the U.S. Task Force versus the PLCO risk prediction model. We have found that um, the risk prediction model is significantly more sensitive than the age and pet years criteria. So this formed the basis for for us to use. A risk prediction model to identify people at high risk for lung cancer who would benefit from screening. So another major um, thing that we have. Done in Canada because of the pan-Canadian study, um, we have a large uh, bank of uh, CT uh, images. So we have derived what we call a, a lung nodule malignancy risk calculator. So by looking at the CT scan, if someone have a nodule, we can determine or estimate uh, the potential risk of lung cancer, and this help us to uh, devise our strategy how to uh, follow the patient. Uh, whether to uh, just a uh, routine recall in one or two years, whether they should have an early recall CT scan in about three months, or have a um, immediate diagnostic workup referral. So the important thing of this model is about two thirds of the people taking part in the screening program can be triaged to a biannual screening interval type of. Strategy, so that save a lot of uh, resources in terms of uh, of how many CT scan we need to do for the person uh, over his or her lifetime, and also reduce significantly the radiation dose. So uh, this is the strategy we are going to use in British Columbia as well. So to look at the roles GPs play in uh, screening, um, what what do you see as their role for identifying patients? Dr. Patel, you you want to address this? Sure. Um, so again, with with some of that information Dr. Lam provided, that's fascinating as well. And I guess from our perspective on primary care, when it comes to maybe looking at GPs and how they may be able to assist in lung cancer screening, I think the role really here, the GP strength is really prevention. That's really where we work. And actually, we would rather not get any of our patients to see Dr. Lam at all, not because there's anything wrong, but rather we'd like to prevent lung cancer as best as we can. And then, of course, exactly as Dr. Lam said, early detection is where primary care can also assist with that. And then finally, advances in treatment, much more within the realm of secondary care. And and how does a GP then refer a patient to the program? So that's a great question, Sarah. And actually, that highlights some of the, should we say, the um, inadequacies or disparities across Canada in terms of lung cancer screening. So BC, we've just heard from Dr. Lam, have a fantastic program where they're working with this lung cancer screening program, Alberta at present do not have an approved lung cancer screening program. So this procedure of three low-dose CTs, for example, as an example, is not endorsed at a policy level within Alberta. That's a bigger argument and a bigger discussion. But clearly, I think raising the awareness as to the value of this is probably something that at least will start momentum of change. But in terms of how a GP would refer someone, First, the first the screening program needs to be endorsed. And of course, with any screening program, that needs to go through the cost-benefit analysis and the criteria for the patients. Once that's an approved program, then actually then we need to understand and educate family physicians and patients as to why they want to be involved, 
the value of screening, and also the potential harms associated with screening as well. And how about in BC, uh, would you be able to comment, Dr. Lin? Yeah, so um, the family physician plays a central role in a, in a screening program. Patients see uh, their family doctor as, a, as their trusted physician. They can ask information um, and whether they, should, they want to decide to take part in screening or not. So uh, a patient can be referred by their family doctor to the screening program um, or uh, like mammography, they can also self-refer. Um, but in British Columbia, um, if they're self Refer, we want them to be attached um, to a, a healthcare practitioner, like a family doctor or a nurse practitioner. But the reason is if we have a CT scan for the lung, in addition to things that are suspicious for lung cancer, um, there are the what we call incidental findings that can be found on the CT scan. So example is um, we may see um, the severe coronary artery calcification, um, which is a reflection of the coronary uh, heart disease risk um, that we can refer um, that to the family doctor um, to optimize their uh, cardiovascular risk uh, um, management. So other things we can see is things like uh, emphysema, uh, lung fibrosis, sometimes a nodule in the thyroid, a nodule in the adrenal or the kidney, that kind of thing. So uh, we do need someone to follow up those uh, incidental findings. One important thing is, uh, is smoking cessation. Dr. Patel pointed out in terms of prevention. In the general population, in the age group that we are talking about, like age 55 to 74, maybe only about 15% of people are still smoking in the general population. But the screening program actually attracts uh, current smokers into uh, the program. So about 40 to 50% of people taking part in screening uh, are still smoking. So give us an opportunity to help them to give another attempt to stop smoking again. We can ask a very simple question, like how soon after you wake up in the morning that you smoke your first cigarette? The ones who smoke within 15 minutes, they're heavily dependent uh, on the nicotine. So those are the ones that would benefit to see the family doctor um, to add pharmacotherapy in addition to the usual uh, smoking cessation counseling to enhance their success rate. So you can see the family doctor have so many ways um, to play a very important role um, in terms of the lung cancer screening program. And so I, I guess this will also be directed to you, Dr. Lam, because uh, as Dr. Patel mentioned, unfortunately, there isn't a screening program uh, currently in Alberta. So in BC, what is the process for a patient getting accepted into a program? So currently, we're in the planning phase to set up the program um, to uh, operate uh, as of uh, spring of 2022. Um, so we have ongoing working groups uh, with family physicians and other uh, stakeholders, so to speak, um, to design the best way um, to recruit, to refer patients. But we will have a, a central calling center um, where uh, people can call or fax the referral uh, to the calling center. The main reason we, we don't want to take up a significant proportion of the family physician's time to go through all the risk uh, prediction model uh, questions. So we just simply uh, ask the family physician, if they see a patient uh, in the right age group, 55 to 74, if they smoke 20 years or more, um, they're potentially eligible for screening. And then they can refer uh, the patient to the central calling center. And the navigator in the calling center will administer the short questionnaire that takes about five minutes to do. If they satisfy the risk threshold, then they will automatically be scheduled for a low-dose CT scan, uh, say, within a couple of weeks. In terms of how long... It 
it takes patients to kind of get seen. Do you have an idea? So we're going to have several health authorities as part of the screening program, very similar to what we're doing now with mammography. So there's screening sites um, that, that will, uh, will have met uh, the screening criteria, the screening site criteria in terms of the CT scanner and personnel training and radiologists uh, uh, reading certification and so on. So once that all is set up, um, that they will be able to handle um, the patients who within the health authority for the screening program. Program. So I think we, we should be able to uh, handle the, the volume of patients that we projected because the scan takes so short a time to do. Literally, it takes more time to uh, show up to the receptionist um, to report than to actually lie down to get a CT scan. And so what resources are available right now to, to GPs to increase an awareness and education around the screening program? So in BC, the Family um, the Practice Oncology Network just released a, a primary care lung cancer um, the care guideline um, that, that is endorsed by the Medical Services Commission, um, so alluded to um, the, the lung cancer screening program. But once the details of the program has been finalized in the fall, um, they would uh, update the, the web statement of the lung cancer care in British Columbia. Also in the PC cancer screening website, we will uh, provide educational material as, as well as other information um, for uh, the family practitioners as well. And I would say from an Alberta perspective, as a family physician working within primary care, what we would want to know is exactly that information there is what is the benefit, but the harm, and also some sort of information where we can easily relay this to our patients, because we may not necessarily be physically doing the screening, but to get them to go for the screening, this is probably the value of primary care. You know, we can help people understand and weigh up some of that medical information. Uh, screening, especially screening for lung cancer in that right group, definitely has a strong evidence base. In the wrong group, it may do more harm than good. So again, that's trying to help influence and also dispel some of the false things out there. Within Alberta, we have our own validated uh, websites, which we use. So Screening for Life is an Alberta website which just has all of the currently endorsed screening programs, such as breast, colon, cervical. So then if and when Alberta follow on, it would probably be added to that, depending on how they choose. I really like the way that Dr. Lamb's program is working because the issue in primary care is time, time with the patient. We want to make the most value there. So getting our patients into the system through a nurse navigator or navigator is an excellent way of doing that. But then using the family physician to maybe use their knowledge as to what is the good and bad with this is probably a useful way. Again, some of the things that we'd be looking at here, if this is incorporated to that, of course, we've heard about age and smoking as the biggest things, but people are asking more and more about radon exposure within the ground, whether that's a factor that can be incorporated in. Um, people are asking about travel exposure, multiple flights, and that increases radiation exposure. People are asking about general health conditions, diabetes and other conditions, whether that increases associated risks of cancer. And so I guess there will be hopefully these validated tools that have some of this. But one thing that isn't always well incorporated to tools is the primary care physician's gut feeling. And actually, that does come some way when it comes to cancer screening. Sometimes everything may fit low on a screening criteria, but there is something that may just make that family physician think differently for that patient. So that's something that sometimes comes into some of these algorithms. 
In British Columbia, we have done a study looking at the effect of outdoor air pollution. So exposure to PM 2.5 is a significant risk factor, especially people who have never smoked or only smoked uh, very light uh, in the past. So I think something we need to look into um, more because uh, as the population grows, increase in traffic and industries and so on, the PM 2.5 exposure is going to be uh, higher. Uh, another thing is um, because of immigration, people come uh, with their past exposure when they come to Canada. So depending on what country they live in before, um, that their past air pollution exposure can be substantially higher than what we encounter in Canada. So that's stuff that's not necessarily in the kind of risk model now, but it might be things that, that are being researched more and could potentially in the future be, be incorporated as well. Yeah, that's why it's something that we're working on to look at the effect of outdoor uh, air pollution. Uh, indoor air pollution like radon is a little difficult to, to measure because we don't have long-term data um, as to how long people exposed to radon. If you uh, have a, a meter to measure today, only tell you uh, short-term exposure. It doesn't tell you what you have been exposed in the last year. Uh, Several decades, right? So this is one problem with uh, radon exposure. And I think that's probably where primary care can assist with education. You know, we may not have to wait till they get sick with some of these. Helping people understand that these are some of the harms which are outside of smoking and age may help reduce the numbers overall as well. By using these screening methods, what percent of patients do you hope to identify earlier in progression of lung cancer? So we hope to identify more than 70% of patients with what we call stage 1, 2 early lung cancer. So what tests are performed during screening? So screening only involves a, a simple a low-dose CT scan. Uh, so a low-dose CT scan has only about 20% or less of the radiation uh, with a diagnostic uh, medical imaging scan. Uh, so it's equivalent to about six months of outside outdoor exposure to, uh, um, to outside the radiation. So the radiation is there, but it's actually a very small amount. So we think uh, um, within the screening context, uh, uh, the risk of a low-dose CT scan will be very small. What kind of economic impact uh, do you see um, of a screening program being implemented? So using the, the risk model approach of screening, we're showing that uh, lung cancer screening is highly cost effective. Um, people talk about incremental cost effective ratio of uh, like, it's really about 15 to $20,000 per life year gain. Uh, so I think it's very cost effective. Now, if we take into account that the rising cost of some of the newer therapy, screening can actually be cost neutral or even cost saving. So it depends on how we use some of these agents. So where do you see the future of lung cancer screening ideally? So I hope every province and territory in Canada would implement lung cancer screening to reduce uh, the mortality of lung cancer. Yeah, I, I also see the future of lung cancer screening probably embedded eventually within the patient's medical home which is really within their primary care network. But I really think that will probably be by having our computers assisting us with this process. So patients' data, age, smoking history, recorded in a searchable format that actively pushes out our patients to us, telling us this is a patient who flags up, go and talk to them. And then I also see other tools helping us as we refine that process, biomarkers, better diagnostic imaging as we move forward can add value to this process and accuracy as well.
So I wanted to ask one last question before we end our discussion, and that is, what is your key takeaway for GPs in Western Canada regarding identifying, referring their patients for lung cancer screening? So my takeaway message is lung cancer screening saves lives. The additional benefit to lung screening, such as using incidental findings on the CT scan uh, to decrease other major um, disease risk or mortality or morbidity, such as cardiovascular disease, and optimize the treatment of COPD. And using kind of what we call the artificial intelligence in the future, we can actually use a CT scan to look at bones um, for osteoporosis, for example, and other things as well. So I can see it's an integrative healthcare approach, not just for lung cancer screening, uh, but for reducing um, the risk of other major diseases such as cardiovascular disease or COPD. But integration of smoking cessation is also very important. And, and I would say probably from my perspective, the, for, for GPs in Western Canada, the data and the evidence definitely supports lung cancer screening in the right population. I would also say maybe a second thing for primary care is not to be overly reliant on using chest x-ray for screening, because again, that doesn't seem to have the same type of level of data supporting that. And then again, finally, a third piece for primary care is that cessation Smoking cessation in particular is probably still a more proven and powerful measure. I, I would just say, I, you know, I'm, I'm keen and I hope Alberta can move forward with that. At the moment, from what I can see, the Canadian Task Force's recommendation is due to screening-related harms, um, this screening should only be done in centres for expert, uh, centers with expertise for early detection and treatment, which sounds great in paper, but really that means that creates a barrier to accessing screening. Okay, thank you both so much for a very informative episode on lung cancer screening. Uh, take care.